Is there anybody here that's made any bad choices lately? I suspect we would ask, which day are you talking about? Tell me the day and I'll tell you what bad choices I probably made that day, right? Uh, some of our choices, some of our bad choices, uh, are relatively insignificant. You know, they just, you make a bad choice and you wish you'd made a different choice, but it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, Cindy and I visited a new uh, Mexican restaurant down Mount Pleasant the other day, and after I ordered and got what I ordered, I thought, yeah, that's probably a bad choice. I probably should have chosen something different. But that's, that's relatively insignificant. That doesn't matter. It's a bad choice, but it doesn't, it doesn't make much difference. Other choices that we make sometimes cost us money and aggravation. Uh, I, I suspect that there are several of us here this morning who would talk about maybe buying a used car and realizing after that you bought it, you made a bad choice. I've been in that category more than once, you know, having bought a car that now you realize it's got issues and it's going to cost you money and it's a huge aggravation, a bad choice, made a bad choice. But again, that's not the end of the world. It's not the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. But there are some bad choices that are absolutely very significant because they bear spiritual consequences, both now and in eternity. And we want to talk about bad choices that people make spiritually in our lesson this morning. We obviously want to realize the error of those kinds of choices and try to avoid them. And that's what our emphasis will be as we look to the Word of God this morning. Thanks for being here today. We appreciate you all very much. We have a beautiful, hot, but beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee, and it's a real privilege to be able to come together and worship God. We're encouraged by such times, and your participation and help is a part of that encouragement that comes to all the rest of us, and we thank you for being here to be a part of it. We have visitors today, and we're grateful. We want you to come back whenever you can, and we're always ready to engage in Bible study or in other ways that we might be of help or assistance to you. Let us know how we can help. Thanks to everyone for being here today. Let's talk about bad choices. Now, just like I said earlier, you know, if you ask the question, did any of you ever make a bad choice? We'd say, yeah, you know, give me a time frame and I'll tell you probably what I did. Unfortunately, if we were more specific and said, have you ever made any bad spiritual choices? We probably have to say yes to that, too. And, and I think they fall into several categories that we need to learn from and avoid. For instance, it's a bad choice when we choose the material over the spiritual. Let Jesus define what we mean by this by going to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19. Jesus explained this contrast between the material things of the world, and the spiritual. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so the contrast was between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Now, what about that contrast? Think about that for a minute. When you think about the treasures on earth, those are sort of easy to see and to value and to seek after because those are things that we can, those are tangible. 
You can put your hands on those kind of things. You can, you can really experience them in the physical sense. And so our challenge is to not necessarily focus on those things, but rather to focus on the, the treasures which are in heaven. Those are harder. Focusing on the treasures of heaven a little harder because I can't see them. I can't put my hands on them. I can't experience them in a physical sense. So it's a challenge to us, right? And it, it, it is the challenge of looking at things in the right way. You've no doubt heard about the experiment that, ha, that you can try yourself. Take, a, take a, a little toddler and get a bright, shiny coin in one hand and a crumpled up $100 bill in the other hand and hold it out to them to see which one they will choose. And almost always they'll choose that bright, shiny coin over the $100 bill because obviously they don't have a good sense of value, of what's worthwhile, what's, what's worth uh, the, the worth of a thing or the value of a thing. Unfortunately, that's what we're talking about when we make bad choices, choosing the material things of this world over the spiritual things of God. We have got to grow up, so to speak, and realize where real value is. In the parable that Garrett read for us earlier about the rich man, the foolish rich man, notice it says the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And so he goes on to say, Soul, thou hast much goods, laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I think it's interesting that God himself labeled this fellow as a fool. He was foolish. Now, in the eyes of the world, he was not foolish. In the eyes of the world, he was a very successful man. In regards to material things, he had done extremely well. But God labeled him as a fool. And the answer is in the text. The reason he was a fool is because he laid up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God. Uh, his focus was on earthly things, material things, and it was a bad choice. Now, uh, we need to be which? Which do we need to be? Laying up treasures for self or being rich toward God? Obviously, the advantage is to be rich toward God, and we'd be foolish to choose otherwise. But any time we do, and unfortunately we do from time to time, don't we? We choose the things of this world rather than the spiritual riches of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We've got to emphasize again, that this is not talking exclusively to rich people. This is not a verse that's addressed to people who are already very wealthy. You know, this, you don't have to be a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett or a Jeff Bezos. You don't have to be one of those people who has just mega wealth to have the problem described here. Notice Paul says, they that will be rich, those who desire it, the, those who have this ambition, that's what they're seeking after. If you want to be rich in this world's things, then you're making a mistake and you're opening yourselves up to a lot of trouble. All you have to do is want to be rich and have an inordinate desire for the material things of this world to 
bring upon yourself all the heartache that Paul is describing here. Misplaced priorities. That's what he's talking about, isn't it? Misplaced priorities lead to bad choices. And so one of the bad kind of choices that we are unfortunately too prone to make is choosing the material over the spiritual. I would suggest to you it's also a mistake to choose the outward over the inward. The outward man over the inward man. I saw in a recent report that Americans spend, get this, Americans spend $62 billion a year on cosmetics. Think about that. Just the cosmetic industry in the United States, Americans spend $62 billion a year on cosmetics. That breaks down, which is almost a mind-boggling number, that breaks down that on average, each American will spend over $200,000 on cosmetics in their lifetime. Uh, I, I don't know. Think about that. Maybe we ought to maybe we ought to cut back on that. Put some of that in the bank. That's a significant amount of money. The average American will spend over two hundred thousand dollars on cosmetics in, in a lifetime. But you know what's sad about that? The average American, while spending all of that on outward appearance, does very little to invest in the welfare of their soul. And that's what we're talking about here when we talk about emphasizing the outward over the inward. That's a mistake. That leads to bad choices. When Paul was describing his persecutions in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he said, We faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Notice he talked about the outward man and he talked about the inward man. What did he say was true of the outward man? The outward man is perishing. The outward man is going away. Uh, uh, that was true of Paul. And that's why Paul wasn't so worried about what you could do to the outward man. Because the outward man is perishing anyway. The inward man, that's what's important. The outward man is perishing. It was true for Paul. It's true for you too. It's true for me as well. The outward man is perishing. So buy all the cosmetics you want. Doctor yourself up. Try to make yourself look as pretty as you can. But the fact of the matter is, your outward man is perishing. And it's going away. How old are you? How old are you? Average life expectancy in the United States is now close to, not quite, but close to 80 years. All right? Now, that's the average life expectancy. Obviously, some are going to live longer than that, but some are going to live less. But let's just take 80 years as the average. That's gone up some. Uh, back in 1960, it was only around 70, so it's gone up some, but it's still less than 80 years. How old are you? 20 years old? 25% of your life is gone, on average. You 40 years old? Half your life is gone. You 60 years old? Three-fourths of your life is gone. The outward man is perishing. You 80 years old? You're on borrowed time. You're on borrowed time. The outward man is perishing. That's true, right? We know that. That's no revelation to anybody. The outward man is perishing. But you know what we do? We put all of our emphasis on the outward man and pay no attention to the inward man. That is bad choices. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promised of the life that now is and of that which is to come. 
Notice, bodily exercise, profit. Well, he didn't say there's no profit to bodily exercise. Uh, we think, obviously, there is some profit. But it's nothing in comparison to godliness. Because the outward man is perishing. And so you can work out. And you can exercise. You get yourself just extremely fit in physical uh, conditioning. But the reality of it is, I don't care how fit you are, your outward man is perishing. And for that reason, although there may be some value to it, it doesn't compare to godliness. Godliness is profitable to all things because it's good for us now and it's good for us in eternity. Our soul is going to continue to exist. And so remember that. Remember that if you emphasize outward over inward, you're going to make bad choices. That's just a, a reality. It's bad choices when we choose self over God. Um, Can you think of any positive slant that you would put upon it if you heard some... Okay, I'm going to describe a guy to you. He's selfish. He's self-centered. He's only looking out for number one. Can you think of any good interpretation you could put upon that description of a fellow? He's selfish, self-centered, and he's just in it for number one. There's no good, there's no good way to, to, to apply that, right? All of those kind of descriptions would be bad. And, and people who are that way make bad choices. And it's especially true spiritually. People who are selfish and self-centered and just in it for themselves, they make bad choices. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Now, notice Jesus is talking about those who would be his disciples. So he's talking about acceptable discipleship. That's, that's what's under consideration here. What, what does it take to be an acceptable disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he said you would have to hate your father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters. When we talk about this word hate, we understand that Jesus is using this. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a hyperbole, a figure of speech. Uh, he's using it as a, an extreme expression of contrast here to drive his point home. We know that you're not supposed to hate your father and mother. You're not supposed to hate your wife and your children. We're, in fact, commanded to love them, right? And so Jesus is not literally saying hate, but in contrast to our devotion to God, in contrast, it's the, the, they're at far extremes, right? We're supposed to love God more, uh, is, is the idea of what Jesus is saying here. But notice, he's to hate his whole, he's to hate his own life also, right? It, not only is he to, Love God more than father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters. He's to love God more than that. What's he supposed to do about himself? What's this acceptable disciple of the Lord? What's he supposed to do? How's he supposed to view self? He loves God more than he loves self. He's not all about himself. He's not the selfish, self-centered guy that's going to be an acceptable disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a guy who is selfless, right? And not selfish. In Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning verse 1. In the last days, per- perilous times shall come. For men shall be what? 
lovers of their own selves. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So they loved their own selves. They were lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So who were they putting first here anyway? Lovers of their own selves. They loved the pleasure that they could reap for themselves more than they loved God. And so that's the idea of putting self above God, right? That's what we're talking about here, and that leads to bad choices. But I tell you, there's something that's got to be emphasized here. The people that Paul was describing, this description sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? But notice, these people had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. These people were still going through the motions of religious activity. All the people in this category, the people who love themselves more than they love God, still were making a pretense of religion, right? They had a form of godliness. What about us? Is it possible that that could be a description of us? We love ourselves more than we love God, really. Now, we're still going to go through the motions of, of religion. But the one we love most, we really love ourselves more than we love God. Really? That won't work, will it? But I'll tell you, there's some manifestations of that. And we've got to think about that. You know, we, we, we talk often about attendance and the importance of being faithful in attendance. When I choose to purposely miss the services for something I'd rather be doing, who am I loving more? Lover of pleasures more than lover of God. Who am I loving more? If I'm not giving financially in appropriate ways, because, you know, I want that new car. I want that expensive vacation. I want to buy a new house. Who am I loving more? I'm withholding. I'm not giving like I ought to give. Who am I loving more? Lovers of self. Lovers of their own selves. Lovers of pleasures. More than lovers of God. You can still have a form of godliness and be guilty of the situation that Paul is describing there. I want to tell you that when we put self above God, it leads to bad choices. It just always does. Let me suggest to you that when we choose the here and now over the hereafter... We're going to make bad choices. Almost every survey that is ever taken suggests that the vast majority of people believe that there's going to be an, a, a future judgment and, and an eternity. In fact, uh, those polls will typically say 90% plus of people believe that there's going to be a judgment. But what's amazing and sad is that very few of that 90% do anything to really prepare uh, for judgment and eternity. And that is the ultimate bad choice. When you don't do anything at all to prepare, to prepare for what you know is coming hereafter. When you're just focused on the here and now and not paying attention to the realities of the hereafter, that is the ultimate bad choice. In Philemon, we read about the man Demas. And in, in, in the end of Philemon, Paul mentions several who were with him and who were serving with him. 
He says, there saluteth thee Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. And so, as we've pointed out plenty of times in the past, Demas seemed to have been doing pretty good at one point. But later, in the last letter that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me. What was his problem? Having loved the present world. Demas, who seemed to have been doing real well at one point, now is not doing well. And what was his problem? He got focused on the here and now instead of the hereafter. He loved the present world more than the world to come. And so he had forsaken his responsibilities spiritually. You suppose anybody else has ever done what Demas did? Of course, right? Of course, that's been repeated innumerable times. We just got to be careful that we don't repeat that error. Looking to the here and now rather than the hereafter. It's not a new problem. It's an old, old problem. Focusing on the here and now. Thinking about what's happening right now. Not thinking about judgment and eternity. Way back in Isaiah's time, the prophet Isaiah who lived about 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah said in chapter 1 beginning verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs or of lambs or of he goats. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Now, again, I think what's interesting is these people were still going through the motions, right? They were still offering their sacrifices and God said he was weary of them. He didn't even want them to do that. Uh, If you're not going to be right, if you're not going to be sincere, if you're not going to be devoted... If you're not going to really focus on what's important, then you can just quit doing the other stuff, he says. That stuff's not doing you any good. If you're not going to be really devoted to the Lord, it's a question of what you're focusing on. You're focusing on the here and now or the hereafter. Choices. Made any bad choices? Well, yeah, there are some bad choices that don't matter that much. But you made any bad choices spiritually? Well, unfortunately, we have to say yes, right? We've, we've made some bad choices. Thankfully, God has provided a way for us to be forgiven and to come back to Him and, and be right with Him, even though we've made bad choices in our lives. One of the classic verses in the Scripture about choices, about right choices, is the well-known verse, Joshua chapter... That's wrong, right? That should be Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, verse 15, "...choose you this day whom you will serve." But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua had it right. You can choose. He said, you choose who you're going to serve. I'll tell you who we're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can we make that decision? Can Can we make a determination that we're going to serve the Lord? It's really all that matters. You can boil it all down. When everything is said and done, nothing else matters. We've made bad choices, but as we said, the Lord's made a way for us to come back from that. We don't have to languish in the consequence of all the bad decisions we ever made. God has made a way for us to be restored with Him. For those who've never obeyed the gospel, He's he's presented in the Scriptures a very simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear the truth, believe it, 
Repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. That's easy. That's a simple, direct plan that God has for us to be restored to Him. If you've never done that, we hope you'd make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, though, but you've made some subsequent bad choices and you've gone away from God, we beg you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.